Thank you, Yulia. <clears throat> so for the last four months, at this point in the service, you've watched me and Mitch pull out a couple of chairs and a stand to do a dialogue sermon. We like to keep people guessing, and so this morning I'm going to speak to you myself. Um, and I want to start by telling you a true story of something that happened to me about 25 years ago when we were living in a very small town in the Adirondacks in upstate New York. There was a knock on our front door one evening, and when I opened the door, there was a woman maybe in her mid-30s who told me that she was the, great, the grand-niece of a woman whose funeral I had officiated at a couple of weeks before, um, and she said to me, I want to learn about God. Could you teach me? Well, <laughs> this does not usually happen. Even if you're a pastor, this does not usually happen. So I invited her in, of course. I set her infant son down on the floor with some bro- blocks, and she and I sat on the couch. And she started to tell me how she had been raised by an atheist family, and there had not been any spirituality in her background. She had gone on to college, had become a successful lawyer. Her life was going fine, but something was missing, and she couldn't quite put her finger on it. And she tried going to a couple of churches, but that hadn't really done it either. And somehow her great-aunt's funeral touched something in her. Her great-aunt was a wonderful, tough, solid Adirondack woman who had a deep faith and who did not suffer fools gladly. And her funeral was a great celebration of her life um, and her participation in the church. So this young woman, who I'll call Eileen because that's not her name, um, wanted to see what she could learn. So I gave her a Bible and suggested that she read the first seven chapters of the book of Matthew and then come back in a couple of weeks and we'd talk about it. So she came back two weeks later and I asked her what she thought of what she'd read and she said, this Jesus is interesting. Indeed. But he doesn't really mean what he said, right? Like, love your enemies? He didn't really think that we were literally going to do that. And I said, well, actually, I think he did. She's like, okay. (laughs) And we talked. And then I gave her some more chapters, and she went back and read those. And over the next couple of months, we met every couple weeks to talk about what she'd read. She read those Gospels with a lawyer's eye. And she came in with tough questions. And I did the best I could to give her honest and what I hoped were real answers. And it was fascinating to watch her move from skepticism to incredulity to wondering to embracing what she was starting to read and understand. And finally, one night she said to me, you know, I used to think this Jesus stuff was crazy, but... If we lived like this, it would change the world. Living like this would change the world. And of course she's right. When Christian folk have lived like Jesus taught, the world has been changed for the better, has been healed, has been made more holy. 
when Christian folk have not lived as Jesus taught, but have claimed all along to still be Christian, it has done immense amounts of damage in the world and damage to the reputation of God and the gospel in the process. Having said that, living like this changes the world. And what Eileen didn't say, but what she was discovering, is that living like this changes us, too. It changes who we are and how we engage in the world around us, and that changes the world. So I thought of this this week when we read the story of the woman, the widow who brings her two copper coins to the temple. Because her giving was part of what changed the world. Now, obviously not the amount of what she gave. But for her to be able to give that amount, something in her had changed through her faith, through her relationship to God. Her presence in that giving, her presence as her changed and faithful self, changed the world. And that, I think, is what Jesus is lifting up to his followers. And it's fascinating to me that it's set in this context where first he says to them, I'm going to read this so that I get it right, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces And to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor in the banquets. And I think his listeners must have said, beware the scribes. Because there are respected leaders. And of course they get places of honor and they're treated with respect in the marketplaces. What is he talking about? And then Jesus' next line is, they devour widows' houses. And for the sake of appearances, say long prayers. And I think that his listeners would have said, ah, he means those scribes, right? Those scribes who say one thing but do another. Yeah, we already beware them, right? And this is is a a picky thing maybe, but I'm going to invite you to look on your bulletin at that first line on the gospel reading. Um. Where Jesus, and it says he began to teach them, saying, Beware of the scribes, comma, who like to walk around in long robes, etc., etc., etc. So in biblical Greek, there isn't any punctuation. And that comma that's after scribes was put in by the folks who translated it into English, right? And there are biblical commentators, and I would agree with them, that say, that comma maybe doesn't belong there. So it's not Jesus saying, beware of scribes, comma, who, da 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 like beware of all scribes, because just a few verses earlier in this chapter, he praises a scribe who he says is close to the kingdom of God because that person understands what it is to be a faithful person. Jesus was not anti-scribe. I think he was anti-hypocrisy. And so instead, if it reads, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, ah, that makes more sense, right? Though I have to say, part of me kind of likes the comma. (laughs) Because if it's beware of the scribes, comma, I can think, well, I'm not a scribe. I'm good. 
right? When there's not a comma, when it's beware of the scribes who say one thing and do another, that calls me to account in my own life. Because I can certainly point at other people who I know say one thing and do another, and it just seems to me like they're on TV a lot. Just saying. (laughs) But I, too, sometimes say one thing and do another, right? And I'm not always honest with myself about that. And when I read the story of this widow and what she gives to the temple and how she gives... I want to live as someone whose life has been changed enough to do that in all that I do, in all the decisions I make, in all of the interactions I have, everything that's part of my day. Do I do that all the time? No. Probably not any more than you do, right? But it's an aspiration for me. It's what the focus of my spiritual life is. So the focus of all of our spiritual lives are, it is a beautiful day out there and you are here because this is a place that nurtures the person that you're trying to be, the person that God has created you to be. So I can't give you the specifics of what you need to do or how you need to live to live as a person who is changed by God and God's love in the world. Those specifics are as individual as we are individual. And, you know, we read the stories of people like Martin Luther who said he had to pray three hours a day because he was so busy he had to pray more and more. And I think, three hours? Really? How busy could he have been, right? Um, Having said that, There are four components of our lives as Christians, as people of faith, that I think are important for all of us. And we can fill in the details for ourselves. And one of them is prayer. Prayer on our own. Prayer with each other. Prayer that is, of course, talking to God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Prayer that is also listening for what God has to say to us. Prayer that sometimes is conversation with another person and sometimes is personal. So prayer is one. Learning is another. All kinds of learning. Learning about the Bible. Learning as much as we can about God. Learning about the people around us. Learning about the world. Learning about ourselves. Always curious. Always saying, what are you trying to teach me here, Jesus? A third piece is service. God does not just put us in this earth to be ourselves, though God is delighted for us to be ourselves. God has created us with a, hard, a hardwired need to be connected, and part of that is caring for each other. So service is absolutely part of our spiritual walk in the world. We do it in all kinds of ways. And then the fourth part is community. I believe that it is not possible to really be a grounded spiritual person all by ourselves. We have to have a community of folk with whom we do that. And many of us are blessed with all kinds of communities. This marvelous community of this congregation, communities at home, communities of friends, maybe communities of coworkers, but community in the sense of people who know us, who love us, who understand this journey we're on to be changed and faithful people, and who can hold us accountable. 
I know how much my life has been graced by people who sometimes have said to me, okay, I know that you think you're going to do that because you think God's told you to do it, but I think we want to all think about that for a little bit. So have asked me to have a little humility in what I'm doing. I also know there have been times when community has said to me, that thing that you're scared to do, have a little less humility, have some courage, get up and do it. That is the calling of God for you in this time. Community helps us to stay centered, helps us to stay grounded, because it is so easy for us to deceive ourselves. It's so easy for us to be those no-comma scribes, right? It's so easy for us to fall off of the path of holiness, and together we do better than we do on our own. So as we've said several times in this service already, this is the penultimate weekend of our stewardship and pledge campaign. Next Sunday we'll be receiving uh, financial financial pledges for the 2022 year for this congregation. And of course those pledges go to help build up this community and all four of those aspects of a spiritual life the kind of prayer that we do with each other, learning about prayer and about being people of faith, learning about scripture, being together in service in this community and around the world, and building up this body of Christ, this community in the world. That is what that is about. And so we'll, we'll talk more again about that on Sunday. But be thinking about... Be be praying about, and if you are brave, be in conversation with another about how you feel God is calling you to make a financial commitment in the coming year. I want to say one more thing about Eileen. Um, A few, after we'd been meeting together for a while, she started coming to our little congregation in the Adirondacks. Um, The whole building would fit in the sanctuary. (laughs) It was a little congregation. Um, and they welcomed her in, much as the, in the way that you all do. They welcomed her in with warm and loving arms and helped her in her journey. And a few months later, she asked if she could be baptized. And I love to do baptisms in living water, if at all possible. So one Sunday, we all trooped out of the sanctuary and down to the creek that ran behind that church, the Mill Creek, and she waded into the creek to be baptized with me. It had been kind of a droughty summer, and the place that we'd hoped was deep where we could submerge her didn't have very much water in it. And so we brought a pitcher from the church um, kitchen, and I scooped down and got a pitcher full of water. And as I said the baptism words, I poured it over her head. And as I poured it over her head, she did this. She wanted to be part of this with all of her. And that is what God calls us to be. May this be true for all of us, today and always. Amen. Our next hymn is 2174.